Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Trapping Today podcast. I'm your host Jeremiah with trappingtoday.com, website blog dedicated to all things trapping. And thanks for tuning in. I appreciate having you here. I'm happy to be here. And last episode, we were in the middle of the Canada Lynx issue. We talked about uh, Canada Lynx potentially being delisted as a threatened species under the Endangered Species Act. And I talked about how the whole lynx issue has unfolded uh, for trappers in northern Maine for basically the, the past decade or more. So if you haven't listened to that yet, you'll want to tune in. Uh, go ahead and right now listen to episode 5 so you can get a little bit of background. And where we left off... Uh, at the end of episode 5, uh, Maine was in the middle of a lawsuit where the environmental animal rights activists were suing the state of Maine for allowing trapping because they claimed it uh, resulted in incidental killing of Canada lynx that was illegal under the Endangered Species Act. So, um, what I want to do here is just read a little bit of an update from November of 2008. Uh, This is from Skip Trask of the Maine Trappers Association. And this was uh, kind of in the the midst of this this whole Lynx lawsuit. And it was prior to uh, the judge coming up with a decision. Uh, But I just want to want to give this to you just to kind of put you back in time um, in 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 this courtroom. So here's the update from Skip Trask. He was a lobbyist for the Maine Trappers Association, a really, really excellent uh, excellent force for trappers in the state of Maine. He says, First of all, I wish to extend my heartfelt thanks to each of you that suspended your trapline activities to attend the hearing in Bangor this afternoon. The hearing was held in a very small courtroom, and there was not enough room for every trapper to be seated. The debate continued for more than two hours. The judge was clearly impressed with the number of trappers that gave up a day on the trap line to attend these oral arguments. I think each of us in attendance learned a great deal, and we got a lot of insight into what we were up against. I think we're also somewhat encouraged by several remarks made by Judge Woodcock during the proceedings. The judge, however, did not render a decision today on the plaintiff's motion to ban footholds and body grippers at land sets in wildlife management districts 1 through 11 and 18. It is anybody's guess as to when his decision will be announced. It could be a week, a month, or even longer. The good news is that the judge gave no indication whatsoever that he might consider implementing changes during the current season. As a result, I think we can reasonably expect the 2008 trapping season will continue without interruption. I'll send out a notice the minute we hear anything further. And uh, it goes on to thank some people that were involved. Um, but anyway, this was this was really a big deal, and uh, we we weren't sure what was going to happen. Basically, what what ended up happening is uh, the the judge ruled in the favor of the state and of trappers, and we were able to continue trapping in northern Maine. So everybody kind of breathed a sigh of relief. Now I want to tell you what uh, the result of these lawsuits was. Uh, basically. So prior to prior to the first lawsuit, uh, trappers in northern Maine, and in, in who this affected most was um, Martin and Fisher trappers. So basically, uh, our our laws have always stated that 
anything above a jaw spread of five by five inches as far as body grips go. Um, so essentially, uh, anything above a 120, 155 size uh, trap. Uh, so a 160, a 220, 330, those could not be set on the ground. Uh, 330s can only be set underwater, completely underwater. 220s could only be set uh, four feet above the ground, uh, but but 120s could be set on the ground. And the reason for that restriction was basically uh, nobody wanted to see dogs killed in in 220 traps set on the ground. So Maine's a state where there are areas of the state where there are quite a few people, people walking their dogs around. Be a bad thing for trappers to uh, to have dogs killed in that situation. So those were for the forever. Those are the laws. That's how I grew up trapping. Uh, Martin trapping stick 120. Um, you find a, a a hollow spot in a tree root or a hollowed out log. You stick a chunk of bait in there. Stick a trap in front of it and uh, wire it to the tree. You walk away and. In my first couple of years of trapping, that was that was what we did, and it was just awesome. It was uh, it was very effective. It was it was easy, simple, not a lot of things to worry about. When this lawsuit came into play, it completely changed trapping for us, and it provided some very specific rules that you could not use any body grip and trap on land. So 110, 120 was was now illegal on land. In northern Maine, where links were, unless you set it in a specific way, and the requirements were, you had the trap had to be at least four feet above the ground or snow. The trap had to be on a pole that was less than four inches in diameter, and that pole had to be set at an angle of greater than 45 degrees. So basically you're looking for a 45 or greater degree angle, a less than four inch diameter, and four feet above the ground. And the reason for this law was basically so that, you know, the, the state said, okay, we got sued, we're going to settle, and this is what we'll do, we won't catch any links. So this was agreed upon, and it was regulations were put into place for trappers in northern Maine. And, and it was really, it made things difficult, it was a lot harder to catch Martin, uh, it was more work and harder to find places to set. You had to construct these sets and, and so on. But, you know, really, we were still trapping. That was the most important thing. We didn't lose trapping. We were excited that we could still trap. And, you know, we deal with it. We could still catch fur. But I think most of us in the back of our minds realize that this is just a stepping stone for these groups. They're not going to be happy. And basically, we just... We just gave them an inch. They're going to try to take a yard. So th that was where we were at with trapping regulations. The judge ruled in our favor, so that could continue. And then all hell broke loose for trappers. So at this time, 2008-ish, now if you are familiar with Canada, northern Canada, Alaska, uh, and trappers, a few trappers up there listening in, you you understand this. Uh, lynx populations go in cycles. And they're very drastic cycles. And the, the cycles are predictable and they're completely related to the population of snowshoe hares. So when snowshoe hares become very abundant, 
there is lots of food available for lynx. Lynx do well. They breed successfully. There's lots to eat. The survival of the young is really good. Lots of them survive and grow and they breed and the lynx become very abundant. All of a sudden something happens, snowshoe hare populations crash, whether that's related to food, disease, uh, or a lot of predators like abundant lynx. Those populations crash, a bunch of lynx starve, and the lynx population goes down as well. So the cycle is a normal part of the, the biology of the lynx and the population dynamics of Canada lynx. And that has always worried me as a biological-minded trapper that, you know, we're going we're gonna to try to get these species delisted and then we're going to be in a down cycle and no one's going to recognize that and they're going to relist them or restrict us even further, uh, not understanding these population dynamics. It's one thing for a biologist to understand it, but a lot of times they're not making the decisions the politicians are and the judges are. Um, so you have to convince a judge of that. Uh, but anyway, moving on. In this 2008 period, as far as I can tell, and, and a lot of us can tell, is lynx had become very abundant, and the snowshoe hare population was down, and lynx were very hungry. So we were quite confident in our new sets, and they weren't going to, um, to kill any lynx, and then all of a sudden something happened. A lynx got killed. A lynx got killed in a trap that was set on a 45 degree angle pole, less than four inches in diameter, more than four feet above the ground. No one could have thought that it was possible. What happened was essentially um, the trapper found a loophole in the law and he followed all of those rules, but he made that set right next to a large cedar tree that was overhanging right next to the set. And the lynx climbed up the cedar tree and stuck his paw over to try to get to the bait. Now, in, in every other year and circumstance, when you didn't have a bunch of starving lynx running around looking for food, this would you never could have caught that cat. Um, but this year, there was, a, there was hungry lynx. And, and again, remember, th this lynx population was, was growing and abundant. And here we are uh, politically getting sued that they're endangered, they're threatened, we, we can't afford to, to lose even one. And we're out there as trappers, we're trying to avoid catching them and we're still catching them in our sets. It was just unbelievable. So basically what happened there was um, very shortly after that another lynx was killed in a trap. Um, it was Everything was up in the air, everything was thrown out of whack. And w it turned out that the second trap was set illegally and uh, the the trapper was charged and and was was uh, was punished for for that crime. So so that did not. Uh, they tried to sue again based on that, and the judge basically said no, it wasn't even legal. So how are you going to sue that the law is 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 not uh, is not doing a, a, an effective job? Um, but anyway, uh, the state changed the laws and basically said spelled it out. You have to be four feet off the ground, 45 degree angle, less than four inch diameter pole, and that trap has to be more than four feet away from any tree greater than four inches in diameter. <laughs> so, so the guys who had a five inch diameter tree next to their set had to go and move the set, and it was just 
crazy. But anyway, that that was the way it went. Um, so things kind of moved along, and around that time, there was there was push for an incidental take permit. And if you're not familiar with the Endangered Species Act, the incidental take permit is a permit that's issued by the federal government that says it is okay. So, so the ESA states you cannot take an endangered species. Taking means killing, essentially, or causing to be killed. Um, so, for instance, destroying a habitat would be indirectly taking of links. Uh, a links dying in a trap would be direct taking of links. So you cannot take, except there is a provision in the act that states you can apply for an incidental take permit because some activities you can't avoid um, the taking of a species. So as part of that permit, you have to show that you've... Um, you have done mitigation in other areas to offset that potential take. Basically, it was a long process, a um, couple-year process. The, the state basically said, okay, we would like a permit to take three links, oh, incidentally, as part of the trapping program, as part of trapping in Maine, three incidental links taken, and we will mitigate by managing a certain amount of state ground for improvement of lynx habitat to essentially create more lynx, um, result in more lynx. So that, that permit was approved. Um, that was extremely controversial because trappers are saying, well, we've got, we now have data that shows we have over a thousand lynx in the state and we're only asking to take three in 15 years. This is crazy. Um, that didn't seem to be an issue until, you know, we, we had the, these links start to get killed in traps. So, um, long story short, the incidental take permit was approved, um, and we could only kill three links in 15 years. Uh, and then something happened. Um, in 2000 and I want to get my dates right here in 2014 and I remember this because I was trapping just down the road from, from home here and I had a small Martin line out and it was uh, about oh it was, ha it was a little more than halfway through the season um, all of a sudden, a lynx was killed uh, in a trap. <clears throat> and and it was another fluke thing. Uh, the lynx had, had climbed up this tiny tree, stuck its paw way up into this trap, and, and basically just kind of found a way to essentially commit suicide, it seems. Um, so at that point, we were at, uh, the way it worked out, we, we were at two taken lynx. And it was our like our second year in the incidental take uh, permit process. Forgive me, I I don't remember all of the details, and I I hesitate to say much for fear of being wrong. Um, but I know we were two out of our three 
incidentally taking links available uh, right at the beginning of that process first year or two of that permit being issued and this was like whoa we've got problems here so basically the department shut trapping down in northern maine just just completely shut it down um, we all had to pull our traps immediately and uh, and we were done trapping for the season um, what that did was there was a a, a clause in in that incidental take permit that that said if if two links are killed it triggers um, a review of the regulations and a modification of the regulations to prevent a third links being taken. And so <clears throat> that was kind of a nightmare that turned out to be, I think, a, kind of a blessing for trappers. Because what it did was we had been, trappers had been pushing for these links exclusion devices for, for a couple years at the time. Because we didn't want to have to set these traps up four feet in these little 45 degree, four inch, three inch poles, three and a half inch poles. And uh, a couple of, of innovative trappers said, well, what if we set these boxes on the ground and we make make uh, enclosures where only a small animal can enter and, and uh, lynx can't be caught in them? Well, the department obviously was very hesitant because they'd already agreed upon these other regulations, and they did not want to stir the pot and and uh, and get into this whole exclusion device thing. Um, but there were some studies going on at the time, and, and it turned out they were very effective, extremely effective. So when the pressure was put on by this review of the incidental take permit, um, it was modified so that the following year, 2015, we were allowed to use the links exclusion devices. And if you don't know what those are, that's the current law that's in place right now. And I think for, for at least a few years, we will be under that exclusion device rule, um, if not for longer. Uh, but I have uh, several videos on, on Trapping Today YouTube channel. So if you just go to YouTube and search for Trapping Today um, <clears throat> or search links exclusion devices, there's several other videos on them. Um, but I've done a few, and it, it basically walks you right through. It's basically a box. One's designed for a 120 body grip, one for a 160, one for a 220. And it, it's basically ensuring that a lynx can't reach into that box, but a Martin or Fisher can. And some of them, they, they're termed, called, trappers call them Fisher exclusion devices. And and uh, I've had, I've tested them. I've got some videos showing different boxes I've tested. And they are they 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 can repel and I've had a lot of refusals this year a lot of Martin and Fisher refusals in those boxes so they're not ideal but but they they allowed us to keep trapping um, so it, it just a just a little interesting thing uh, when these when these devices when trapping was shut down and all this and and we could only take three links in 15 years and we'd already taken two since 2009 when a bunch of these changes were made from 2009 to 2014 just an interesting statistic 26 lynx were killed by vehicle collisions in northern maine from 2009 to 2014 two were killed by traps okay so it, it it's just a it's mind blowing that we're going through all these these lawsuits and these legal troubles and we're losing our rights to trap, all for 
two links when we've got a population that's so abundant 26 are killed by vehicles in a five-year period um, it, it's just amazing so anyway that that long story short we went through all these political battles uh, we things were kind of settled and and uh, we're just kind of waiting for the next lawsuit or waiting for Minnesota to get hit with this and they're gonna have to use exclusion devices and Idaho and Montana and all that and all of a sudden uh, the Trump administration comes in and says, "We're looks like links are recovered. We're gonna delist them." <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of a broad way of putting it, but um, the, the biology, the data has shown for a very long time that links are abundant in northern Maine. Forest practices um, that have continued in northern Maine, uh, while they may not be best for all species, they are incredibly uh, beneficial to links in snowshoe hair. Links are continuing to expand. They're doing very well. And the feds are saying, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that you typically you need a recovery plan and then do th say you did all this great work and then they're recovered. Um, I don't, they're not even going to have to put together a recovery plan. What they're saying is the species is recovered. It's in great shape. Um, here, look at what what great work we did. Let's all pat each other on the back and delist them. And so that's exciting. And, and who cares who gets the credit for it? If we can, you know, go back to, to having um, uh, management of the of the links uh, in individual states back in the hands of those states, um, that's an incredible thing. And, and using actual biology to manage these populations and, and deal with things and um, on a local level, I think is ideal. So, so anyway, as trappers, uh, this is really good news. The uh, <clears throat> the feds are saying right now that lynx um, probably should be delisted, and they're going to start the process. So it's going to be a multi-year process. Um, there are going to be lawsuits. This is going to be a big deal. The the antis are, do not want to lose ground here. Um, so that so they are going to work to fight this and what we need is we need support we need letters um, I'll be blasting things out here you know sending emails when the feds put this up for review and want public comment we as trappers should should really be commenting on this stuff and and supporting sound wildlife management and saying you know what these these guys are in good shape they they probably never were endangered to begin with but uh, they they're common the habitat's good and improved. The populations have improved. And uh, let's go ahead and, and call this a success and uh, and get back to business as usual. So anyway, I, I hope that was informative. I hope that you gained a little bit of uh, perspective on on that whole history. If you know, if you were in a different state, you, you probably didn't see this main main trappers were really on the front lines of this battle and it was a really tough deal for a long time and it's sad because we could have focused our our resources and efforts on a lot of other things uh getting more young people into trapping uh more you know wildlife management research and and just uh promoting promoting trapping and ed trapping education There's a lot of great things we could do but anyway let's uh let's hope that we can kind of uh continue on in the trapping community and work uh, for improvements every day. So anyway, um, hope this helped and we'll catch you in the next time. 
on the Trapping Today podcast and uh, check out trappingtoday.com.